We are so delighted to be here today. Uh, Linda and I are just thrilled to be a part of the St. Mark's family, and uh, we're just honored to be able to stand here for Tommy today to continue the series that he started last Sunday, the series called Broken, Good News for Tough Times. Our scripture is the one you heard this morning, and the title of the sermon is Labor Pains, Labor Pains. Well, you know, um, just this past week, we had the great privilege of going to a reveal, gender reveal party, you see? Now, <clears throat> this was our oldest grandson and his wife, which are here today. They're sitting right over there. And uh, they uh, were going to have a party to reveal the sex of the child. And uh, since Logan loves to play golf, they put it around the theme of golf. And the reveal was going to come at the moment that Logan would hit a golf ball and the golf ball would explode into the color that represented the sex of the child. So anticipation was growing and building and finally it came time for the great moment. Logan took a few practice swings, you know, he was practicing like he was going to hit one 300 yards. He was really swinging at that ball. And finally, he reared back and let it loose. And he hit that golf ball. And when he did, there was a great explosion of blue. <laughs> it's a boy. Woohoo! <laughs> well, that was an exciting moment for them, for us, and everybody in the family. But I got to thinking about this. You know, back in the old days, back uh, when we were having children, we didn't have any gender reveal. Well, we did, sort of. The gender reveal was when we went to the hospital and we sat in the waiting room and the doctor came in there and said, it's a... <laughs> yeah, you got it. So uh, we had an experience like, uh, like that gender reveal in a different way. It, it, it involved labor pains. Well, what happened was um, we'd already had one child, and the doctor had told Linda, when your labor pains get 10, 15 minutes apart, something like that, you need to get on to the hospital. Okay, and since I've already done through, went through this once before, I thought I'm, I'm kind of a pro at this now. I can calm down a little bit, not be so nervous, not get too excited. So one morning, early, early, as I rest, rest peacefully, my wife jolted me from my sleep and said, I think it's time. Well, well how, how do you know? How far apart are your labor pains? She says, I don't know. I haven't really timed it. I said, well, Let's time it. I, I'll get up and start getting ready. And so I got up and went to the bathroom, started to shave or whatever. And uh, she said, I just had one. Okay, I got the timer. I'm watching. And I continued to shave. And within three minutes, <laughs> she said, I had another one. I said, what? That's three minutes apart. We got to go. Come on. And I wiped my face off, put my clothes on. We jumped in the car. And I broke every speed law known to man getting over to that hospital. Now, the hospital at that time was, uh, it's not even in existence anymore. It was Donaldson Hospital. We lived not too far from there, so 
we made our way to Donaldson Hospital, and the entrance that we had to go in to get Linda admitted for delivery had stairs just like these coming up the door into the uh, admitting area. I pulled up my car right beside those steps and ran around the door to help Linda get out. And as she took her first step on the ground, she said, I'm having the baby right now, right now, I'm having the baby. I said, no, you're not. You're not having the baby right here. We're just over the, go in the door. Please hurry. So she went to take another step. Steps up one more step. She said, I'm having the baby. I'm having this car right here. No, 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 no. We're not doing this here. Come on, come on, come on. And I kept encouraging her to get up another step. And finally, she got up that last step, and we got into the door, got her in a wheelchair, pushed her over to the admitting desk. The ladies at the admitting desk realized that this was kind of an urgent thing. It was about to happen. So they wheeled her off while I stayed to finish some of her paperwork. Finished up her paperwork, and then realized I have got to go move the car and get her stuff out. So I went out and moved the car, got her stuff out, came back in the lady says waiting rooms right down there first door on the right okay thank you I went in there sat down in the waiting room and as soon as I sat down a doctor comes in there and says congratulations you have a baby girl <laughs> wow was that fast as some of you know labor pains come in different ways for some people it might be long and drawn out and some people it could be really fast but in our scripture for today, Paul equates the struggles of the lives of people that he's addressing his letter to similar to that of labor pains. The Christians of that day were under siege by the Roman government. Many of them were under pressure. They were under pressure culturally, spiritually, other ways that were pressing in on their faith and their commitment. They were struggling. It was difficult times to say the least. In a similar way, we live in a world today that our culture doesn't really agree with our faith commitment. And things that we hold dear sometimes are not held dear by society. And sometimes we may feel like we're under a lot of pressure too in terms of keeping the faith and hanging on to what we believe is the right thing to do. Well, Paul was saying that to these people, but he added a caveat to it. Paul went on to say that the sufferings or the struggles or the pain or the difficulties that you may be experiencing right now do not compare to the glory that's about to be revealed in you. In other words, God is working a plan in your life even though you may be experiencing these struggles and this pain. God is working a plan in your life to bring restoration and wholeness to you even in the midst of these struggles and difficult times. So Paul was encouraging the people to keep the faith, to hold on, to press ahead, to not give up. As we get through the scripture today that we were heard read earlier, we get down to about verse 18 or so, and it starts talking about these words, for the sufferings, the sufferings of this present time, for the sufferings of this present time. Now, we do live in a difficult and challenging time, and I thought, well, you know, I, I probably could do some examples of that here. And I started thinking about it, and, and as I thought about it, I thought, hmm, 
That might take me two or three weeks. So I better reduce it down to a couple. Uh, first of all, one of the things that I think is one of the biggest challenges that we're facing today is division. It seems like we're more divided than ever before in my life. We have division in politics, division in our churches, division in our families. And this is a point of strife, as I see it, within the church. I think about this, and it, it, it's dawned on me, it has dawned on me very clearly that things have changed from what they used to be. Well, for example, used to, Dr. Clardy could say something to me about some philosophical or theological or political point, and I could say, well, I don't agree with you, brother, and guess what? He'd still be my friend. Not anymore. If you don't agree with that other person, oftentimes you become the enemy and you're evil and you're projected to be as someone that I can't be friends with anymore because I don't agree with you. Man, how times have changed. I remember as a young preacher boy, I was, uh, one of my early appointments was triune. Any of y'all ever heard of triune? Yeah. Okay, well, it's over here in Williamson County, and I went over there to serve the church at Triune, and young preacher guy, green as green could be, and uh, there was an older pastor that was appointed nearby over at Franklin. Some of you, in fact, maybe many of you, know the name of Reverend George Jones. So George was the pastor at Franklin first, and he took it upon himself there wasn't even any commitment from the Board of Ministry to do this at that time, but he took it upon himself to personally mentor me. And so about every two weeks, he'd come over for a visit. He'd call and say, can we get together on Wednesday at such and such? Yes, come on over. And I'd say that usually reluctantly because I knew when he'd come, it was going to be trouble. Because every time he came, he would find something about our faith that he wanted to challenge me about. And he'd, he'd start pushing, pushing. And I'd get fired up, you know. And before long, I was fuming, you know. And I was ready to throw a book at him or something. But after we would discuss things, even though sometimes I got rather overheated, when we finished the conversation, George would always say to me, now, come on, John, he'd pat me on the back, put his arm around me, say, let's go get some lunch now. And you know, over the years, I always loved and respected George Jones for the way he mentored me, even though we didn't agree on everything. That's one of the things that's changed. I feel like we need to try to get that back somehow. Well, another thing that I think is different that causes one of the challenges to the Christian faith today is that, well, well, let me put it this way. You heard of undercover boss? I'm the undercover preacher. <laughs> I'm retired, and I work part-time uh, picking up and delivering cars. And it's just a great, fun job to have especially for a retired guy. And I mean, you know, 
You get to drive around, see people, drive all kinds of neat vehicles, some not so neat. And, you know, you're going around Middle Tennessee and seeing the sights, and just, it's just a wonderful job. And I work with people who are good people. And these people that I work with, most of them, with maybe the exception of one or two, are Christian people. I mean, you know, I, I know they're Christian because they, they talk about their faith at some point and, and they talk about the church they attend and what happens Sunday at church and these kind of things. But as the undercover pastor, as I quietly listen during the week to the conversations and I hear some of the things they say about other people and I witness some of the things they do, and I hear perhaps how they talk about women in certain cases. And I'm thinking to myself, what church do you go to? Maybe you need to go back and try again because it don't seem to be working. I, I know, folks, this is not something to laugh about. It's serious, you know. I mean, it really is. Because they'll talk to me about things in the society and in the culture that are attacking the Christian church today and how they need to go to fight to stop this and stop that. We need to boycott this and boycott that. And the whole time they're doing this, I'm thinking to myself, the greatest threat to the church is not some cultural thing that might be going on out here in the world that they feel threatened by. The biggest threat to the church could possibly be Christians in the church not living like Christians Monday through Saturday. Hmm. Boy, if we could change that, that would be a big difference. Well, as we continue, verse 22 says, All of creation, all of creation is groaning in labor like a woman in childbirth to see the revealing of the children of God. But have you considered this? The kind of pain that labor pain or childbirth is. Recently, uh, oh, I might preface this by saying, uh, I've ridden motorcycles most of my life. And uh, recently, we had a sale at the auction where we were going to drive 120 Harley-Davidson's through the sale. And so uh, they picked out 10 riders to be the riders for these 120 bikes. Now, I don't know how they came up with me, but they picked me to be one of the 12 drivers that were going to run those 120 bikes through the sale. Well, now I'm just going to be honest with you. I've not really ever been a Harley guy. You know, Honda has been my thing, you know, most of my life. But I know the Harley guys, that's, that's a commitment there, you know, a big thing. And a lot of the Harley guys all want to modify their bikes in different ways. And oftentimes that includes modifying the exhaust system, modifying the tailpipes and the exhaust. So I encountered one of those as I was going through the sale. And this modification put the exhaust coming right by your leg. I knew it. I could feel it. It was hot. And so when I got through the sale and pulled around to park the bike, as I started to get off, my leg, which I did not have jeans on, my leg got against that 
exhaust pipe. And I experienced a rather severe second-degree burn. And boy, was it painful. You know, I thought about that pain, and the thing about it was is that pain really had no good purpose. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, oh, yeah, I mean, the purpose might have been to teach me to watch out for tailpipes, riding shorts on a bicycle, you know, not do that. But it wasn't pain that really brought forth a purpose. Think about labor pain, though. It's different. Labor pain is a pain that has purpose. It produces a new creation, a new birth, a new being. Labor pain is not fruitless pain. It's fruitful pain. And that's the kind of pain that Paul is experiencing or telling this church to experience, to know that this is the kind of pain that yields something fruitful, something more better. But the scripture says in verse 23 that we not only along with creation moan, we also ourselves moan. We wait and groan inwardly as we wait for adoption. I, I don't know what you're groaning about today, but I do know there's a lot of people groaning, struggling, hurting, suffering, having a difficult time. We groan under the weight of our own sufferings. We may be suffering because of sickness or pain, both physical or mental. We may be suffering because we've lost a loved one to death. We may be suffering because a business has failed. Or we may be suffering because we're just out of school and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Or we may be suffering because we're out of work and struggling to find how we're going to provide the next meal for our family. Or we may be suffering because of somebody who has hurt us deeply. Or we may be suffering because our children have disappointed us. Or a marriage is shaky. Or a relationship has gone bad. Or a million other reasons. But the scripture today says that our suffering is not in vain, that God will bring restoration, and we are still not the people that God has intended us to be. We are still a work in progress. We are still becoming the people God wants us to be. And the suffering of our present time does not compare with the glory that's yet to be revealed. Some of you know that over 30 trips to Guatemala in mission work, uh, I have had many wonderful experiences. Several years ago, I had a team with me in Guatemala, and uh, we were in the outskirts of the town of Mazatenango. And where we were staying on the outskirts of Mazatenango, there was an orphanage a girl's orphanage nearby. And the team members knew that the orphanage was nearby, and as we prepared for this particular trip, many of them were collecting little items that they could take to the girls at the orphanage. And so on one particular day of our time that we were there, we got the bus over, loaded all our folks up, and we went over to the orphanage. And uh, I asked uh, the head the sister in charge, 
uh, uh, was there any special things that we could do? She says, you know, no, just come in and love on the children. Just come in and love on them. Spend time with them. And so everybody comes through the gates of the or orphanage and into the door of their assembly room. All the girls are in there from this size on up to this size. And as soon as our team walks through the door, they are getting attacked by different ones of the girls that are seemingly picking out somebody and going to. <laughs> and I'm kind of standing back there a little bit until I finally see this little bitty girl come waddling across the room, look up at me and hold her arms up like this. So naturally, I picked her up. This is her picture. That's Maria. She was three years old at the time. She was there waiting to be adopted. Now, she took me by the hand and showed me her bunk bed, opened her little cabinet and showed me two or three pairs of panties, a few little socks, a couple of pairs of shorts she had in her little locker there. And then there was a little stuffed toy that she had in her locker. She showed me a little stuffed toy. And... Uh, and then as we walked around the room to look at other things, anytime someone else on our team came over to try to take Maria away from me, there was no having of that. She was not going to be taken out of my arms by another team member and gone anywhere else. She clung to me for dear life. Well, it tugged at my heartstrings so badly. For the first time in all those visits to Guatemala, I made a phone call home. And I said, Linda, we've got a problem. <laughs> What's that problem? I said, there's a little girl. You can put the picture back up. There's a little girl here. Her name's Maria. She needs to be adopted. She's three years old. Would you be willing to consider adopting this little girl? Without even hesitating, she said, sure. So I immediately started talking first to the sisters to find out what the process was to begin the adoption for Maria. However, my excitement was short-lived because just after beginning the inquiry, I was told that the Guatemalan government had temporarily stopped all adoptions to the U.S. And the reason behind it was that they had done some investigations and some of the children were being adopted and taken back and sold into sex trafficking. So there was no way I was getting Maria. So that day I realized when I left that, you know, this was uh, not going to happen and I was sad and Maria was sad. And as you walked out the door of the main assembly hall, there was a little garden area, and then there was a wall around the orphanage, and then in the wall there was an iron gate. And as we all went back to get on our bus, Maria came out with one of the sisters, and she stood at the iron gate. And she looked at me and she waved. And I waved back as the bus drove away, realizing that the tears were just flowing down my cheeks. And then I realized it wasn't just my cheeks, it was everybody else on the bus with me was crying. And I wondered what would become of Maria. 
The next year, another team went back to Guatemala to that same area. I wasn't going to be a part of that team, but I sent ahead an inquiry. I said, would you please go over to the orphanage and see if you can get an update on Maria? So one of the team members obliged and did that very thing. And when she went to the orphanage and talked to the sisters about Maria, she found out that Maria had been adopted by a loving family in Guatemala and that Maria had everything she ever wanted or needed. My friends, that's what God is ready to do for you. In whatever suffering or pain or struggle that you might be going through, think of the struggle that Maria went through. God can take that situation and bring restoration and joy and happiness. So I don't know what suffering you're struggling with today. I don't know what issues are hurting you today or if you've just gotten over one or you might be preparing to encounter one, but I, I do know this, I know who can fix it. And I do know this, that whatever struggle you may have, God can redeem that situation and bring restoration and wholeness to our lives once again. Now, the question is, will you trust him to do that for you? In Jesus' name, amen.